Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. From KQED. This is one of those odd pieces of questioning that some of us hang on to our entire lives. Our question asker this week grew up in the Bay Area. Hi, my name is Hector Perez, and I teach English at Mountain View High School. He's been wondering something since his school days. Who were the first people here thousands of years ago? It's been like a tickle in the back of my mind since a teacher of mine in middle school taught us about the Bering Strait. That's the land bridge formed when sea levels were lower during the Ice Age. People journeyed across the Bering Strait from Asia into Alaska. I have a real clear memory of, you know, the old social studies books with pictures of, you know, people with um, animal furs uh, fighting the wind. Sixth grade Hector was enthralled by the idea that from there, ancient peoples spread out across the Americas. But, but then I wondered who came here. Today on the show, we're learning about the first people to call the Bay Area home, how they came to be, what early life was like, the destruction brought on by colonists, and how they're nourishing their language and culture today. I'm Katrina Schwartz, and you're listening to Bay Curious. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Hector wanted to know some concrete things about the first people to live in the Bay Area. Who were the first inhabitants of this region? And what was it like for them? What happened to them? Are there any descendants left? Reporter Daniel Potter looked into Hector's questions. Hi, Daniel. Howdy, Katrina. So about that last question, the people here today, 
It's really, really hard to definitively trace that history back several millennia to before the end of the Ice Age. What we do know is that indigenous people have lived in the Bay Area for thousands of years and are still here. It turns out not everyone likes the term descendants. Because descendants is something that puts us to be a fragment of what we once were. So we prefer to call ourselves the Ohlone people of today. And there's many Ohlone people that are alive today. So Horshetuhi Kanakarakat Vincent Medina. So hello, good day. My name is Vincent Medina. I'm an East Bay Ohlone person. Medina's ancestors passed down stories of how the world came to be and how humans fit into it. In this tradition, the world began with a flood. There's a great flood where everything in the world was covered with water, except for the two peaks of Tuushtak. That's what we call Mount Diablo. Tuushtak literally means the place of the day. And there, our god, Coyote, Maiyan, he was the only figure that was alive during that time. And there, uh, Maiyan saw a single feather that came down and touched the water. And out of that feather came Rupaiwa, or eagle. And they became very close, Maiyan, Coyote, and Rupaiwa, eagle. They became best friends. Eventually, one day, the water, it went down, and the world as we know it began to be created. And there's these times before humans came to be where everything was made safe for us. The conditions were made right for us. But then, when it was the right time, we were created here and meant to live well here. And the world was perfect for us to live here, meaning that in those beginning stories before we arrived, all those conditions were made possible for us to be here. And it was at a time when it was safe, when there was abundance, when there was food. The way that we believe, that we're taught, is also that it's not just centered on us as humans, because there was life that existed before us. We're part of the story, but we're not the center of it all. This is one of many stories from the Ohlone nations. Almost everything we call the Bay Area, from Vallejo to Big Sur, that's all Ohlone land. Now, um, within that, there's at least 54 independent nations. Speaking many languages, like the one Medina introduced himself in earlier, called Chichenyo. And beside Ohlone nations, the Bay Area is also home to Miwok peoples and others. As to where the term Ohlone comes from, Medina says there are a few explanations. Sometimes people will say that it comes from the name of uh, one of those smaller nations I was describing on the San Francisco Peninsula. But we have another explanation for that in our family here in the East Bay. We believe it comes from the Miwok term, which means people of the West. Now let's get to what it was like for people to live in the Bay Area thousands of years ago. For that, I talked with Kent Lightfoot, a professor of anthropology at UC Berkeley. 
and I direct our California archaeology program. He says people were in the Bay Area as far back as the Ice Age, which ended some 12,000 years ago. And at the time, the Bay Area was not a frozen wasteland. The weather here was mild, and the low sea level meant the coast was miles further west than today. What's now San Francisco Bay was more like a lush river valley. At that time, there was no bay. This predated the San Francisco Bay. And people would have used that entire valley area. That whole area, along with whatever evidence the folks there left behind, it's now underwater. But people must have been around by then because there are signs of them further south. Some of the best, oldest finds in California include stone tools for hunting and fishing on the Channel Islands off the coast near Santa Barbara. The age where we have good uh, records of archaeological materials that have been dated uh, with radiocarbon dating now go back, you know, 13,000, 14,000 years ago. Lightfoot says there's not great evidence people here were hunting the mammoths and mastodons that were around at the time, but it wouldn't surprise him. In those early days, a lot of the menu was probably seafood. The earliest people that we have in terms of really good archaeological records anyway were maritime peoples, seafarer peoples who uh, had boats and who had come down the coast. Flash forward. Over the course of several thousand years, as ice sheets melted, sea levels slowly rose and water filled what we now know as San Francisco Bay. And at that time, then you start seeing our early sites here on the bay. And those go back about 5,000 years. So at this point, the Ice Age saber-toothed cats would have been long gone, but there would have still been an astonishing amount of wildlife around, all the way up to the now-extinct California grizzly bear. And the bay would have been home to lots of sea otters, which Lightfoot says may have been hunted for their rich pelts. Over time, people here came to process acorns into a kind of porridge, and to use bows and arrows rather than spears to hunt animals like elk. They used a grass-like plant called tule to make lots of things, like baskets, nets for fish, and even boats and structures. So people had tule houses, and tule were reeds that grew along the, along the shoreline. This is author and publisher Malcolm Margolin. Among his books is one called The Ohlone Way. I've been hanging out with the Indian community for nearly 50 years. Margolin says one lasting emblem from the long, long stretch of time before the Spanish arrived are the shell mounds. By the time the first Europeans came, they had about 400 shell mounds around it. And these shell mounds were accumulations of, of earth, of shells, of ashes from fires, of refuge and burials. Some were huge, around 300 feet in diameter and three stories high. They would have taken generations to build up, so long that Margolin thinks their use may have gradually shifted over time. There's some questions to whether they were dwelling places or whether they were ritual places. But I suspect it changed from year to year. It changed from generation to generation. So some people used it as rituals, some people used it as dwelling. Many shell mounds have since been paved over. In places like Berkeley and Emeryville, the old sites are now shopping centers and parking lots. Even today, there are ongoing disputes and protests over this type of development. Maybe the best surviving example of a shell mound is in Coyote Hills Regional Park, near the east side of the Dumbarton Bridge. But that one's only open to the public on certain occasions. As to Hector's question about what happened to the Bay Area's first people, It's a sad story, familiar to many. 
waves of colonizers nearly wiped them out. Survivors had to give up their land and their way of life. Margolin calls the genocide of indigenous Californians an attempt to erase people. I think Europeans had no use for Indians. I think they had a sense of them as inferior beings. And what they saw were people that didn't have the right clothes, that didn't have the right manners, that they didn't have the right religion. The devastation came in three waves, starting about 250 years ago with the Spanish. And the conquest was as cruel as it could be. So when the missions came, Indians were drawn into the missions, and many of them died from disease or were killed outright. Then, during the era of Mexican control that followed, the land was divided up and ranched. Cut loose from the Spanish missions and with nowhere to return to, Ohlone people were forced to work for Mexican ranchers. Mexico gave up rights to California as part of the settlement that ended the Mexican-American War. A few months after California became a state in 1850, the first governor, Peter Hardiman Burnett, said to expect a war of extermination against Native people. Our family experienced a lot of hardships that came with colonization. Too many hardships to ever really list. Through it all, some indigenous people, like Vincent Medina's great-grandmother, quietly preserved and passed on the traditions her ancestors lived by for thousands of years. If you could imagine the climate during that time and how hard it would be to practice these ways outward. It's also during a time as well that our family kept these things going strong in isolation when not everything could be carried on. One way that our family still found a way to keep these things alive was through documenting them. Medina says his great-grandmother and other elders wrote thousands of pages on history, language, stories, religion, and food. But my great-grandmother survived that time. She got through it and she still kept our culture close, passing on as much as she could to, to everybody in our family around her. And through those efforts, that's how so many of us, including myself, grew up empowered with our culture. His family didn't speak Chuchino when he was growing up. Not even the elders then did, but they remembered hearing their elders speak it. Medina says that, along with the archives left behind, has made it possible to reawaken the language over the last 12 years. At one point, he didn't know a single person who spoke it, and now a whole community is conversant. And that shows healing right there in action. It shows how you can be able to have things back again that we might have not had a short time ago, but that we were always meant to have. Medina is working to make indigenous culture more visible in other ways, too. He runs Cafe Ohlone, which serves indigenous foods. Well, what kinds of food would I find on the menu there? Acorn soup, it's our most traditional food for Ohlone people. It makes a meal really proper for us. And he's one among many indigenous community members who are reviving traditional dance, basketry, even making boats of tule reeds. Medina sees all this as carrying forward a story that began a long, long time ago. Being here in this space, knowing that we're indigenous here, that we were created here, it gives us that responsibility and that, that obligation to keep these teachings kept close with a lot of integrity and a lot of deep care and love. Daniel Potter, thank you for bringing us this story. Thank you, Katrina. I also want to thank two other people I talked to while researching this story, Gary Camilla and Peter Nelson. I really appreciate your help. 
And we've got a new voting round up on our website. So head over to baycurious.org to cast your vote for what we should cover next. Our show is made by Susie Racho, Brendan Willard, Olivia Allen Price, and me, Katrina Schwartz. Bay Curious i ukshareekne yelamu rote keku edi. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.